please turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> Hebrews 11, verse 1. Please, please follow along as I read the first six verses. <clears throat> now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith you understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Allow me to pray for our study this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that it contains, the guidance that it gives, examples of, that we have of people of faith. I pray, Lord, that you will guide in our study. Challenge us with your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning as I was getting ready, I looked in the mirror and saw something that no one has ever seen. Calories. No one's ever seen a calorie. You can't find a calorie. So based on our passage in Hebrews this morning, I came up with this basic premise. By a faith, I understand that the size of my body is increased by calories, so that what is seen is not the result of things which are visible. The key, if there is food and not so good food, and you eat it, and your clothes don't fit anymore, unseen calories are at work. Now, I know it's a stretch, but it, isn't that what the writer of Hebrews is saying? That if I... Accept with my heart what my hands cannot touch, that is faith. If I acknowledge with my mind what my eyes cannot see, that is faith. Uh, during the Sundays that I'm with you this summer, I want us to consider biblical faith. Not saving faith, but what I call practical faith or daily faith. Not that faith that brought you into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but the outworking of that salvation that we have, living by faith. I've entitled this short series, Faith That Endures in a Changing World and a Shifting Culture. <clears throat> you listen to the news, you read the papers, you know what's going on in our culture. There was a time when Bible-believing Christians were seen as somewhat normal and accepted. Not so much anymore. We're seen as the bad guys. 
because of our insistence that there is only one true God, the God of the Scriptures, that that forgiveness of sins is found only in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We abide by a sexual morality that is taught in Scripture. Because of that, Christians are paying a price. Some are losing jobs. They're losing their homes, their savings. They're held up to cultural ridicule and shaming. I'm not complaining. This has been the case for over 2,000 years, and there are places in our world today where folks are being crucified, beheaded, impoverished for their faith. All I want us to do is accept the reality that things have changed. The culture has shifted. And if we're going to stand strong, we need to understand biblical faith and how that works out in our world. That's why we start with the book of Hebrews and Hebrews 11 this morning. The writer of Hebrews is addressing this letter to people who are undergoing difficulty. Their lives are being turned upside down by fellow Jews and uh, more increasingly by uh, folks who are not believers. Uh, Look at chapter 10, verse 32 for just a moment. But remember the former days when after uh, being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering partly by being made public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming uh, shares with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession, a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what is what was promised. Then he quotes two Old Testament passages. For yet in a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we have not. But we are not those who shrink back to destruction, but those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. Three words are important in that short paragraph. In verse 34, the word or 35, the word confidence. In verse 36, the word endurance. In verse 39, persevering. The folks to whom the author of Hebrews is writing uh, are for the most part believers. He's not sure about some of them, and some of them are, are, are thinking of jettisoning their Christian faith and going back under the law where it's safe. There are no risks. It's not difficult. And so for the first Ten chapters of this great book, he talks about the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ, uh, the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus over the law, over priests, over sacrifice. Why would you give that up? He's encouraging his readers to stand fast, to endure, and we have this great long chapter that talks about faith, enduring faith in a difficult world in a changing culture. In the first six verses, he describes and gives some observations about this faith that he's going to speak to. The first thing he tells us is that faith involves assurance and conviction. We, conviction, we see that in verse 1. As you know, the word faith means belief or confidence or trust. It's used 25 times in this chapter. 19 times it's uh, used with the phrase, by faith. By faith, 
the world came into being by faith. This person and that person walked by faith. He doesn't define faith for us. He, he describes it. That first word assurance is translated in some versions as being sure or substance. It, it's an, a very important biblical word. In the ancient Greek, it meant a, a firm foundation, a supported foundation, something solid. We would say something concrete. Enduring faith is solid. It's sure. It's a foundation for our life and for our ministry and, and our work. We have assurance of things that we hope for. <laughs> hope for. When we talk about hope in our world, in the English language, it, it kind of carries an iffy component. Uh, someone asked me if I was going to be able to work the Cubs into my sermon this summer, and I said, sure, I can do that. I decided not to. Let's think about Texas Tech. They're playing. They're playing in the College World Series for the thir second time in three years. They're playing this, this afternoon against TCU. Boo hiss. I say that for the TCU fans who are here. We hope that they will do well. But it will only happen if their pitching is solid, their fielding is stellar, and they hit the ball well and they get a few balls that bounce their way, i.e. they're lucky. <laughs> if. But when a New Testament writer uses that word hope, it, it's a solid conviction that what God has promised, he will bring to pass. In this case, what do we hope for as believers in Jesus Christ? We are hoping that the moment that we breathe our last breath, we will step from this life to the next the presence of Jesus. We, we hope for the resurrection of the dead. We hope for Christ's return, the blessed hope. We hope for glorification, the completion of our salvation. We hope to reign with Jesus when he establishes his kingdom. Faith is the reality of things hoped for. It's also the conviction of things not seen. That word conviction was used in a, a legal sense. To, to provide legal proof for an accusation. And what the writer is telling us is that, believers, we're banking our whole life in eternity on the conviction of things that we have never seen. We have never seen God. We have never seen Jesus. We have never seen the Spirit. We have never seen heaven. Assurance and conviction are so closely tied together that the, that the intent of the author to tell us that faith enables us to make real something that is yet future and something that is unseen. In a word, faith is a dynamic certainty about things that God has promised to us, things that we have not seen. It, it, in this context, it's not something that you can conjure up. There's a settled reality to, to faith. It's not optimism, bootstrap thinking. It's not a blind leap in the dark. It's not testing God. You try to do dumb things. You say, I'm just living by faith. No. Genuine faith is not brainless or sentimental. 
faith has as its core a massive certainty. It believes God against insurmountable odds. Faith is my confidence and conviction that source in the very character and nature of God is explained throughout the scriptures. Faith has a way of making the future present and the unseen real. Goes on in verse 2 and says, For by it the old timers gained improvement. <laughs> Men of old, these folks that he will list in just a moment. Sometimes people who live by faith are despised and ridiculed by the world, not by God. They are commended by God. Verse 6, God will be pleased with them. And we get to the end of the chapter, and there's this issue of being commended again. Faith pleases God. But faith is uh, crucial in my relationship, my walk with him. That's why it's so important and pleases him. And faith involves assurance and conviction. Secondly, faith gives to us understanding of our world or our universe, if you will, according to verse 3. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. It's, it's um, interesting that I mentioned earlier there, by faith is listed 19 times. This is the first one, by faith. We could spend a lot of time here, but the author doesn't, so we won't either. Faith gives us an understanding of our world, uh, of creation. He, he uses the word worlds there. It, it speaks of time as much as the physical universe. Time, space, the operation, the administration of his creation. It includes both the physical and the spiritual realms of creation. Now, since no one was around when the universe was created, I like to use uh, J. Vernon McGee's words when he describes uh, this situation. He used to say, and if you've ever listened to J. Vernon on the radio, I, I wish I could mimic him, but I can't. But he's something like this. He says, there are two explanations of the universe. One is speculation, the other is revelation. What we have here is revelation. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. In the beginning, God. The writer of Hebrews uses the word, word of God here. He's not talking about the written word, but the spoken word. And it takes us back to Genesis 1, where eight times we are told that God spoke. Something was created. God spoke, and it came to be out of nothing. Ex nihil, the Latin term, out of nothing. What, was, what is seen was made out of what was unseen. He designed the universe. He designed it. He framed it. He spoke it into existence. He spoke, and the stars filled the skies. He spoke and the mountains rose. He spoke and the birds flew. He spoke and the, and the fish swam. And he spoke and suddenly there was Adam. <laughs> and you know the rest of the story. Now, I, I, I've got to tell you that this is out of step with both modern and ancient thought. Those who believe in evolution say that matter is eternal and 
they're not alone. When this letter was written, the Greeks were the scientists of the day, and they believed that matter was eternal and the gods came along and shaped it somehow into the universe that we see. That goes all the way back to the time of the Babylonians and even to Moses. There has been this thinking that matter is eternal. And so the writer of the Pentateuch, the, the writer of Hebrews, is just as much out of step with the, with the cultural thinking as we are today. And he's saying, no, no, no. God created this out of nothing and spoke it into existence. By faith, we believe that God can make something out of nothing. It gives us an understanding of the creation. It also leads us to worship God. That great hymn in the opening pages of our hymnal, O Lord my God, when I an awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy, po thy power throughout the universe displayed, displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Faith involves assurance and conviction. Faith gives us an understanding of our world, of the universe. Thirdly, faith is basic to pleasing God. He tells us that in verses 4, 5, and 6. He, he lists two Old Testament examples of folks who lived by faith. This is a chapter chock full of <laughs> names and folks, and, but he goes back and begins with Abel. Adam and Eve had two children, as you know. Cain was the oldest. Abel was his younger brother. Cain was a farmer and Abel was a shepherd. The Genesis text tells us that they both came on, uh, on one occasion to give an offering to God. And God had regard for Abel's offering, but he had no regard for Cain's offering. There are those who insist that the reason that God accepted Abel's offering was because it was a blood sacrifice. He sacrificed an animal. But the text doesn't indicate that necessarily. And if you go back to the Genesis account, it says, and God had regard for Abel and his offering, but not Cain and his offering. He names the individual first, not the offering. And, and I think that what the problem was not the offering, but the offer, the attitude with which they came, because as you know, Cain was very upset, angry with God when he didn't accept his sacrifice. Now, we may not know for sure what the sacrifice was, but it's clear that Abel's sacrifice was given in faith and accepted by God, and Cain's was not. I find it interesting, the last words of that verse, God testifying about his gift and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Death is not the, be the end of, for a believer. Their legacy, their word, their testimony lives on in many cases. And if we had time, we could name individuals down through church history, individuals that you know who have impacted you. And even though they're gone to heaven, 
their message, their life, their legacy of faith still speaks. And that was the case with Abel, and it pleased God. Then in verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. <laughs> Enoch. He kind of gets lost in the fog of the Old Testament. We read about him in Genesis 5 and the little book of Jude in the New Testament. We know that Enoch lived in the dark days prior to the flood. As a matter of fact, if we can work the genealogy correctly, it appears that Noah was Enoch's great-grandson. Genesis tells us that Enoch was 65. And then he had a son. Well, his wife had a son. He was there. And everything changed. We don't know why. But it says, then he walked with God for 300 years. I didn't even notice that till this week, and it didn't dawn on me that we're here on Father's Day. But I can tell you that God gifted Barbara and I with four children. And uh, things were different in my era. We weren't allowed to go in when the birth happened. And, and I can remember those births. One, I wasn't with her then. She was somewhere else in Turkey. But the others, I was around. And, but the point is, it's, it's such a magical time. The gift of life. And something happened. Enoch, he walked with God, intimately with God, obediently with God, in a godless society. And one day, they were walking and they were talking, and it got near evening, and God said to Enoch, you know, we're closer to my home than yours. Why don't you just come home with me? And he did. And that pleased God. His life pleased God. And, and rather than go on with another name by faith, the writer of Hebrews stops and interjects <coughs> a, a, a key thought. In this passage. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Two words are important in that verse. If you mark in your Bible, underline them. Impossible and must. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Those who come to him must believe that he is. God is not a used to be or a has been. He is a person who is, who exists. The writer of Hebrews is not writing to atheists, and he uses that term that may be translated exists in your Bible. What he's saying is that God is. He exists as a person who is and is all that he says he is. 
the object of your faith is crucial to the validity of your faith, and our object of our faith is the triune God of the Scriptures. We must believe that God is. He is a God who never, ever changes in His character and His power and His holiness and His justice and in His presence. Not just any God will do. Just, not just the notion of God will do. What will do is the God who is revealed in Scripture, who is revealed throughout human history. He is the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, the God of Abraham, the God of all of these Old Testament saints, the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is our God. I am convinced that one of the most important studies that we embark on in a believer in Jesus Christ is the study of God. The names and nature of God. Faith gives reality to the future and to the unseen. And it also says that faith is a rewarder of those who seek him, who walk with him. This goes to the goodness and justice of God. He has given to us his son. He has given to us everything we need for life and godliness. He has given us those things that he has promised in the future. He is the rewarder of those who seek him. Well, the writer of Hebrews goes on, beginning at verse 7, to list a, a number of men and women. This has been called by Bible students the Hall of Fame of the Bible, <laughs> the Hall of Faith, if you will. There are a number of examples of individuals who live by faith, and what I want to do uh, as we walk through the remaining uh, part of this chapter is just make some observations about what the author is telling us. First of all, these examples are listed in historical order, or chronological order, if you will. Creation, Abel, Enoch, Abraham, on and on and on, from creation to the end of the Old Testament. Now, not everyone's listed, but there's enough names listed so you, you get the idea. It's also worth noting that the names that are listed, uh, are, are some of them are before the law was given. And oh, by the way, the law is never mentioned in this list. It's only faith. Because you remember the writer of Hebrews was writing to individuals who were thinking about, let's go back to Judaism. That's safe. Let's go back under the law. The writer of Hebrews saying, no, no, no. second thing I observe is that these were ordinary people. Abel was a shepherd. Abraham was a businessman while Sarah was a homemaker. Joseph was a son and then a slave and then he was in a slammer for a while and then he became an administrator in the Egyptian kingdom. Rahab was a shady lady and there are a bunch of judges mentioned and David was a shepherd and songwriter and then, an a, then a king. <clears throat> 
these were all individuals who lived by faith. And if you check their stories, and I would encourage you to do that, they faced some difficult odds, some difficult obstacles. Just think of Noah, for example. When Home Depot delivered his order of a ton of gopher wood and some pitch in his driveway, told him to build an ark. What do you think the neighbors were thinking? Let's go watch Nutty uh, Noah build an ark, you know. <laughs> Noah, don't you know we're 500 miles from the biggest uh, body of water? No, but God said it's going to rain. Rain, what is rain, Noah? Up until this time, we believe it had not rained, that the canopy covered the earth and a mist rose and watered everything. Flood? What, what's a flood, Noah? And for 120 years, he labored building that ark, and then the rains came. The unseen, the promise, they were ordinary people, many obstacles. They weren't perfect people either. Noah, he got drunk after the flood and shamed his family. Abraham was given to lying, especially at his wife's expense, and he passed that, uh, passed that trade on to his son. Jacob was a chiseler. Moses was a murderer. Think about the judges that are mentioned. Jephthah, who made that rash vow that it involved his daughter. There's Samson, a he-man with a she problem. <laughs> they were commended by God, even though they were folks of their feet of clay. They were often subjected to unpleasant results. Abel, because of his faith, was killed by his brother. Enoch, because of his faith, was taken home. Look at chapter 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, and shut the mouths of lion, lions, quenched the power of fire, uh, escaped the edge of a sword from weakness, were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Hoorah! <laughs> Success! Middle of verse 35 on, not so much. Others were tortured not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with a sword. They went on and on and on and on. What I want you to understand, what I want you to hear me say clearly this morning Hebrews 11 calls into serious punch, uh, question the prosperity gospel preachers and the faith healers that somehow say, if you just have enough faith, everything's going to work out all right. No, it may not. Faith is not some silver bullet that will allow you to avoid pain and difficulty. It's not a magical cure. Faith does not mean that we won't experience difficulties, but what it does mean is we'll walk with God through that issue. We need to 
do that walking in faith. God intended this chapter to inspire and encourage a trust in God from, for, for people whose world was collapsing around them. Trust him. Live by faith. Let me wrap things up this morning in a couple of ways. Um, there, there's a passage that um, always has been close to my heart. It comes from Psalm 119.11. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, I know that we live in the digital age. My phone is down there. It's got the Bible on it. We've got our tablet. We've got our computers. We don't have to carry the Bible around with us. Anymore. We've got it. We've got access to it. But I'm still convinced that one of the best disciplines you can embark on is Scripture memory. <laughs> no discipline in my mind will transform your thoughts more than the mental storage of God's Word. So let me encourage you during those summer months when you're just sitting around doing nothing to think about memorizing some scripture. Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 6. And then the last sermon that we will look at that I will preach the end of July is Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Let me encourage you to memorize those two passages of scripture. Hebrews 11, verses 1 to 6. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Let's call it a summer memory challenge. Secondly, I ran across a little book. You know, what I find interesting from Scripture, God never expects us to just live blindly. He, he offers so much information about himself, uh, about living by faith, by examples, that he never calls on us to live blindly. But with a reasoned faith. As I mentioned earlier, we live in a world where being a, a believer water, excuse me, is ridiculed. It's put down. It's attacked. This little book, it's entitled Truth Matters. It's authored by three individuals. One of them is a professor at Dallas Seminary, Daryl Bach. And I would recommend it for anyone, but especially for those who are students uh, in the upper grades, high school, going into college, I can assure you your faith will be attacked. And, and this offers some resources for you to be able to answer the objections about your faith that you will face. Faith. The writer wants us to understand that Faith is something that is necessary, something that pleases God. Pamela Reeve has written a little book called Faith Is. In it, she writes these words. Faith is confidence in God's faithfulness to me in an uncertain world, an uncharted course to an unknown future. Faith is recognizing that God is the Lord of time when my idea of timing doesn't agree with his. Faith is resting in the fact that God has an objective in leaving me on the scene when I feel useless to him and a burden to others. 
Faith is claiming God's strength to accept and endure weariness and pain and decline patiently. Faith is the refusal to worry when I haven't the slightest clue as to what God would have me do with my life. Faith is something God will prove genuine by testing. Faith is cooperating with God and changing rather than taking refuge in piously berating myself. Faith is realizing that God is the God of the now, carrying on his purposes in every tedious, dull, stupid, boring, empty minute of my life. Faith is thanking God that when I am left with shattered plans, he has better plans. I'm not surprised that Hebrews 11 is the first place that folks go when they're encountering difficulty in their walk with the Lord. The author wants to remind his readers, these folks whose world is collapsing, that there are those who have gone before them who have walked by faith, that God can be trusted. And the issue is not the amount of faith that you have. Oh, I understand that faith grows as you walk with the Lord, but it's not the amount of faith that you have. It's the object of your faith that's so important. Triune God of the Scriptures. Hebrews 11 reminds us that faith that endures trusts in the power and the promise of God when facing the uncertainties and obstacles of life. Faith that endures trusts in the power and promise of the triune God when we face the uncertainties and challenges of life. One other thing, the only assured result of faith is the approval of God. Only assured result is God's approval. And what more do you need, child of God, what more do you need? I'm going to close in prayer, but I would ask that you remain seated after I pray. We have one more thing, an aspect of worship that we want to take care of. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the writer of Hebrews, for the lesson that he has given to us. I pray, Father, that you would guide us, give us wisdom, challenge us. And Father, I would pray especially for those who might be facing difficult times, may they trust you. You are worthy of their trust. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.